This is from Maine with Love, an Allagash Brewing podcast where we talk about beer, our community here in Maine, and things that generally make us happy. Uh, and so I am lucky enough to be joined here by Liz Wilson, our marketing manager. Hello, hello. Great to be here. Jason Perkins, our brewmaster. Hello. And Branch Rothschild, our senior brewer, who unfortunately halfway through had technical difficulties. So when he disappears, you'll know why. And I'm Brett. I work on the marketing team here at Allagash. have everyone thank you for taking the time so uh we are technically here to talk about uh the fact that in 2016 we made a pledge that by 2021 we'd be brewing with 1 million pounds of main grown and processed grain per year but before we get into that uh i just want to chat a little bit and a question i will start with jason what outside of brewing have uh you been doing or has been exciting you recently good question good question brett you just start me off with a with a unexpected question, um, throw it out there. You know, um, I just I, I've got two teenage kids, and and that keeps me pretty darn busy. Um, my eldest just got their driver's license, so that that actually is going to make my life a little more stressed, but also less busy because it's less taxi driving around. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've just been enjoying. Uh, I got a backyard rink that I have spends a fair bit of. Uh, of my time to maintain F- fair bit of work for not a ton of use, but you know, it's a, it's a labor of love. The most important question, Branch, have you uh, cooked anything interesting in the break room recently? Uh, I haven't done anything too interesting. I think the closest I came to interesting was making some nachos in the uh, toaster oven, the, the leftover taco That's stuff. Pretty good. Was the most extravagant one when you like spit roasted a chicken for like the entire day? Uh, I think it was either the Cornish game hens or, or one of those days my cousin came by with a fish he'd just caught, which I cooked in the toaster. In the toaster? <laughs> yeah, like with almonds. and It was pretty good. Just to, just to be clear, toaster oven. Toaster oven. Not like, not like <laughs> oh, bread right. slice toaster. That would be something. <clears throat> I was like, okay. <laughs> Uh, that is inventive uh, toaster oven checks out all right so i think th- to get into the uh, sort of the, the topic at hand of this uh of our sort of main grown grain pledge um i think just kind of setting the a basis of just kind of like i don't think we have to get too in depth on this but i feel like maybe a uh, question for you jason like how would you explain kind of what is the importance of grain to brewing like how does that kind of factor in oh man i mean I mean, grain is, uh, you know, by weight, the largest uh, ingredient in beer, I suppose you could say water, but uh, it is, um, you know, it's a component, huge component of, of what makes up a recipe, right? Just by sheer volume. Um, you know, it's also kind of the foundation, the backbone of beer, you know, it certainly carries plenty of flavor and, um, and plenty of nuance, depending on what types of grains you select, but no matter what, even if you're using just a simple malted barley as your base, like it is still the foundation. It is w- without grain, without malted barley, without, you know, these small grains, there is no beer. So that's probably the simplest way to say it. So I guess, yeah. So to get into it then, can you just kind of give us some background on like, how did the pledge come about? Like, what was the process of that? 
coming up through the Allagash, sort of like coming up just in our in in the brewery. Yeah, you know it. It's really was organic to to use that term in that it just kind of slowly built over time. You know, we made the pledge in like I guess 2016. I guess you could say is when we kind of first made the announcement to the Allagash staff. But <clears throat> before that, um, you know, just having conversations around sourcing local ingredients. I mean, we have been sourcing local ingredients for a long time. It was predominantly fruit for a long time um, because it was either we didn't know it existed or it was unable to be sourced at a, at a high rate. It was hard to get grain and hops, the more common ingredients uh, in beer. But over time, we started to realize that there was a small grain community in the state that had been here for a very long time, growing stuff like barley, oats, and wheat. Um, not for beer, uh, but for other, either for feed, um, for for cattle, you know, a very common cover crop for potatoes in northern Maine, barley, um, and then for bake the baking community on a small scale. Um, so there were small grains being grown in the state; they just weren't really being used for beer. And you know, beer making is one of, like I just mentioned, the using grain is we need a lot of it. So we started to kind of recognize an opportunity to source more local ingredients, which you know, so it's great for sustainability for you know, shorter transit times, great for supporting our local community, et cetera. Um, and then just started having some conversations with people in the grain community, which is really not a lot of people, a pretty small community of people and started meeting some farmers and it kind of built. Um, so in 2016, we were using about 60,000 pounds. We used in that entire year. Um, so we, we were using a decent amount, just nowhere near what we ended up pledging. Um, conversations with, with staff, conversations with Rob, uh, you know, the owner here at Allagash and, you know, luckily we're in a position where Rob really supports this kind of thing. And really in the end, the pledge commitment came from him. I mean, it kind of had to as, as the leader of this company and the owner of the company, but in the end, through those conversations, it was a little bit like, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a singular moment in time where it turned, but in, in a fairly short period of time, it went from this idea to this, let's do it. Like, screw it. Let's go for it. Kind of thing. It's super interesting to hear. And, you know, I wasn't at Allagash when you um, made the pledge, but I've been really excited to see it come to fruition this past year and celebrate it. I guess when you made the pledge, how daunting was it at the time? And what sort of like, how did those first conversations go with our employees and what did we have in place to be able to make those commitments? And like, what did we know we needed to do uh, to achieve our goals? Well, I mean, the funny thing about a commitment like that is it forces you to figure it out, right? Like, I wouldn't say we had a plan. It was like, can we do this? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's a, kind of a, it was a pretty, you know, bold thing to say because we didn't we didn't have it built into our kind of financial model to spend more money on local grain the farmers themselves didn't exactly have you know um you know the seed purchased to grow that much the fields designated the storage um to store the grain once it's harvested the capacity to malt it etc 
so it was a little bit like, let's just make this commitment and then we'll figure out how to get there. Right. Like you, you figure out where you're going and then you figure out how to get there. Um, and that was the, that was the beauty of the five-year pledge. So it was a, it wasn't a, let's use a million pounds next year, or even let's use half a million pounds next year. It was, let's do it by 2021 and we'll grow the use over those five years, giving us time to to build it in, to figure out how to do it financially, to figure out how to incorporate it into our recipes and to give the farmers and the maltsters time to plan for it as well. Yeah. I think that's a great um, sort of segue into like, how did those first conversations with the farmers go? Because, you know, I think as you kind of mentioned before, there wasn't a ton of, um, you know, that for beer purposes happening in the state at the time. So what were those like initial conversations? Just a ton of excitement um, from, from them, honestly. Um, And, you know, more questions, of course, like I know 2021, but that's five years from now, how much next year? Uh, You know, more immediate kind of the questions like that, which is certainly valid, but tons of excitement for sure. Um, You know, we, we deal with, um, a variety of we, we deal with a couple like farmer processors so people who farm it and malt it or clean it and then we also deal with people who buy the grain and pull it from the fields and malt it themselves and then another another supplier in main grains who gets it from who buys a whole bunch of different grains and process so a bunch of different scenarios and so each of their questions and um, details were a little different of course in in talking to the farmers, I guess, can you explain kind of the reasoning why we chose to say, Hey, we're going to choose a specific number, 1 million pounds by 2021. Like how, what was the purpose of uh, making that specific um, choice? Yeah, for sure. That was a very conscious decision to pick a hard number. It wasn't what we originally thought. Originally we were like, let's go with a percent. Let's target a percent of our total grain use is going to be grown here in the state of Maine. But once we started thinking about that, there was a couple things came to mind. One, it's not a didn't strike us as a, as a particularly bold prediction. It wasn't as exciting to have a percent. Um, so that was a piece. But honestly, the bigger piece was the farmers don't care about a percent. The maltsters don't care about a percent. They want numbers, right? They need to know how much seed to buy. They need to know how much you know, acreage to potentially lease to grow the grain or how much grain to buy, et cetera. Um, and so even if we had gone with a percent in the end, the conversations with the farmers would have been like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Percent. How many pounds? Tell me how many pounds. So it kind of led us to those two factors kind of led us to let's go with a a big, a big number and boy, a million pounds sounds awful fancy. So we'll go with a million pounds. (laughs) The fanciest number. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And this is a podcast. So you can't see me doing my Dr. Evil face. (laughs) I have a question for Branch. Uh, just kind of wanted to. In, so when I guess for you, Branch, when you heard that this uh, sort of our pledge, and you're involved in a lot of the um, formulations behind the beer, the recipes, and everything like that, I guess what were what were you thinking? Um, how how are you thinking about that? Well, I was pretty fired up about being able to do it, but I didn't really know how. Um, but I just knew basically, like. Uh, we're going to have to get it in white because white is so much of what we make. And like, how can we incorporate that and how can we work that in, in a way that maintains the quality of white and still 
uses a lot of local grain. So part of that was getting like the Buck brothers to grow a bunch of white wheat, which wasn't something that they'd traditionally grown and validating it and making sure it's going to work. But uh, also just making sure it was in every batch of white was another big part. Totally. And what do you mean by validating that it was going to work? I guess like what was the process? We weren't just sort of assuming that it was going to end up being a good batch of white. Like anytime we, not just for local grain, but anytime we're going to make a recipe change, we want to compare it to our baseline. And, you know, we have a very extensive tasting program to make sure that any of our process or ingredient changes are going to maintain consistency and good quality. So getting it through that process. And what in 2016 refreshes as to like, what, what was the volume that we were producing those that year? And how did that, you know, how did we start to chip that off? And I guess when we talked about a million, did we get, did we make huge strides in those first couple of years or did it really take years of building off of, you know, what we were planning to do to get to a million? When we made the pledge, so pre-pledge, so the first year of the pledge was 2017. In 2016, we did a, we did 60,000 pounds or so of grain grown and processed in the state. I think the next year was 120,000 or something like that. So, you know, it was a, an increase, but not a huge one. And then, you know, I'm not going to remember exact numbers, but maybe 250 from there, 500, et cetera. So they were bigger jumps. But they were, you know, calculated jumps each year, um, again, because we wanted to kind of build build it into our plans, build it into our recipes, build it into, um, you know, the, the farmer's plans as well. Totally. And I feel like just an aside, thinking about that building of it, like we made we made the pledge in 2017 that we were going to do this by 2021. And then 2020 came and was a, quite a different year from what we were expecting. So I just kind of like personally felt really proud that we were able to continue the pledge and, you know, continue to build on the amount of grains we were using, despite how, you know, tumultuous that year was. Yeah, I guess that brings up another question. And probably one of the benefits I would get guess of working with a local community is that, you know, there's going to be fluctuations, whether on our side with output, or, you know, sometimes the this, the growing season is just not what you anticipate it to be. And so talk to us a little bit about the benefits of, you know, working with your local farmers and malsters on like when those challenges arise or, you know, the, that communication process and like how does that differ um, with sort of our neighbors? Yeah, I guess maybe I'll start and then Branch, you can fill in the details because I think Brett brought up 2020 and I think that's 2020 into 21 are great examples of real, real challenge. Like the tail end of our project is right when, you know, COVID hit and we saw a pretty severe drop in beer sales volume in 2020. And that was a year we were targeting 750,000 pounds of, of grain. So there was that challenge. And I am also incredibly proud as you, as you said, Brett, with our ability to actually still stay on goal that year. And Branch deserves a ton of credit for figuring out how to incorporate that in. And frankly, Rob deserves a ton of credit for sticking with our commitments to these farmers, even when we were selling a lot less beer. So the percentage of local grain went up quite a bit because we we were struggling more to, to sell as much beer. And then on top of that, the 2020 harvest was um, 
uh, was really bad um, because of drought conditions. Um, so that led us into 2021, where we were shooting for a million pounds of grain, right? And the the supply was really strained because um, you know it was one of the one of the worst harvests um, they had seen up up in northern Maine in 2020. So you know, add insult to injury in that year for sure. Um, but you know, that's where we had to work with, and maybe Branch, I don't know if you want to elaborate a little bit more on how we had to work with them. To, to get through that supply year and, and still stay on goal. 2020 was definitely a challenge. I think it helped a lot because a lot of the farmers actually had a backstock of grain. Um, so the big drought, they were still malting 2019 grain and weren't as dependent on that one bad harvest year. But uh, so that was a big step. But they still, the wheat that year, they ended up, their yield was one half or a third of what they anticipated. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a brutal year. Um, but I guess for me, one of the big advantages of working with the local grain is just like, when I forget to order something, I can <laughs> I can get it last minute. Um so, like, there have been some beers where I drove up to Lisbon Falls and picked up a couple of bags of grain that I'd forgotten about. Uh, <laughs> and just the ability to do that and not have to, you know, change the beer schedule and repropagate yeast and all that is pretty huge. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll also add that just, you know, just, just having that, like, really, we have close relationships with all our suppliers. Don't get me wrong, but um, with with the these local folks, you know, they they really have kind of become, you know, friends of ours at this point. And you know, the ability to have this back and forth about not, you know, not just um, ordering, but also even the quality side of things. Um, you know, pretty much um, both of the two malt houses here in the state, Blue Ox and Maine Malt House, are they're malting batches for us, like. They're, you know, we're not pulling from their stock of grain. You know, we're pulling from stuff that they've malted kind of to the specifications and the quality that we're looking for. And um, that's just, and they've been great to work with. And, you know, they were figuring things out in the early years. And so we gave them feedback. And then, you know, the feedback loop is just constant in terms of what we're looking for and and so on. So it's just really open line of communication. That's awesome. Yeah, I think... How have those relationships developed since like 2016? Yeah, I mean, we, we didn't really know them that well in 2016. Um, you know, we'd met a couple of the farm farmers at that point um, and made some connections. But, you know, one of the things that really has developed those relationships is we, we visit them. We go, go and see these farms and processors at least once a year. Um, usually we time that around harvest time. Um, but we'll make a trip up there and, and spend time in the fields with them. You know, it's just a beautiful sight to see, uh, first and foremost. Um, and they're just wonderful people to hang out with, but you also, you know, you get to know each other's kind of challenges and, and become better working partners as well. So those connections have built more and more each year, but a big part of that is just not just email and phone calls, but actually being there and, and, and seeing the fields and seeing where they work, enjoying beers with them at the end of the day, and so on. And they let me drive the combine. 
let you drive the combine. That's true. And can you give a little bit more context of the the sense of place or give a little sense of place to the county? Because um, I think, you know, I don't know how many listeners are familiar with Maine, but my guess is many maybe have not gone beyond, you know, Portland uh, or their surrounding towns. But can you just paint a little bit of a picture of what of what the county is like? Sure. And, and just to be, to broaden that even more, the county, as we're calling it, refer, is refers to Aroostook County, which is the largest county in Maine uh, and takes up the, I don't know, what looks like the top half of the state. It's not quite the top half, but it's a good chunk of the state uh, way up north. Yeah. Um, I always get this wrong. Biggest county east of the Mississippi. Is that what it is? Something yeah, I like think that. that's right. Uh, don't don't. Okay, wait me now. We'll get we'll get we'll, in trouble. We'll it's a really big. It's a really big <laughs> county. It's a really big one time. Let's just put it that way. It's definitely the biggest county yes. in the state of Maine. So we'll stick with that. Um, and it's a good it's a good drive from here. It is definitely a part of the state that a lot of people don't know about. Um, but it is an absolutely gorgeous part of the state. Um, you know, beautiful farmland, beautiful kind of rolling hills. Um, you know certainly rural to say the least. Um, and just really wonderful people. I mean, people who have lived up there for generations and, you know, the cliche, but salt of the earth type of people, um, really have welcomed us when we've been up there. Um, so I don't, that's not even going to capture it, but it's just a really beautiful part of the state that I don't think gets, gets the, uh, the credit it deserves. I actually want to I want to dig into that a little bit because I kind of I want to talk about each of the farms who are getting uh, uh, grains from. But I feel like just a, a great place to start kind of to draft off what you're talking about, Jason, is the Buck family. And kind of I think everyone here has been to the Buck family's house and eaten a dinner at their house and uh, gotten to just kind of meet the whole family, including uh, grandma who tells great jokes. <clears throat> excellent, excellent jokester. Um, but yeah, I guess like I don't know. There's there's a part. I don't know if this is true. Jason, you can tell me if this is true, but I feel like every one of us who has visited has kind of like gotten a certain thing that we're remembered for, for the Buck family. Like Branch, for example, is like remembered as a Herculean eater. Like he, he was just able to eat. Accurate statement. <laughs> it, it Dear, accurate them. statement. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the Buck family um, who uh, is multi-generation farmers uh, in Mapleton, Maine, which is, you know, right near Presque Isle. Um, they are, they, they own and run Maine malt house. So they have fields of, that they grow. Um, they've been potato growers for a very long time. They've, but they also grow, uh, barley, oats, and wheat, uh, wheat specifically for us. Um, they, like I said, are, are multi-generation, the current kind of youngest, well, not youngest generation, but youngest adult generation, um, is uh, basically four brothers who run kind of run the malting side of the business. Um, and their father, Bruce, is still very much involved uh, in the farming and the malt house side of things. Um, they and they, yeah, they just super nice people. Um, and they discovered they kind of recognized an opportunity when potato uh, potatoes just weren't as profitable a crop, I think is probably the best way to say that. Um, they just weren't um, weren't doing doing the business as they used to do. They were getting s- squeezed in a lot of directions on the cost side of things, and they were growing barley as a um, rotational crop already. Kind of to as you know, potatoes you can't grow potatoes in the same plot of land again and again. Um, 
so they would be uh, rotating through barley uh, every you know third year or something like that. And they recognized an opportunity to instead of kind of keep chasing the potato game, let's see if we can grow more barley and see if we can start de- developing relationships with with brewers. Um, and that led them down this path of building their own malt house, and they've really they've really grown that business uh, substantially in in the you know five or six years that we've been buying from them. That's awesome. Yeah, seeing their operation grow, like I think I've I visited maybe twice, and just seeing like where it was to where like a couple of years later, how many more silos they built, and and they're just super impressive on what they're able to do by themselves. Like the things they've learned, like the malting machine that they built, it's it's so cool. Yeah, they're go getters for sure. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of that work that you referred to, the storage for grain and the building of the malt house, was really a lot of that was done by them. I mean, there's certainly some contractors involved, but a lot of it was done solely by them to grow that side of the business. It's awesome. I have an anecdote that I don't even know if it's going to make it into the podcast, but I still like this, and I just. It just sticks with me because I, my thing is just me being an annoying, terrible city slicker uh, to them because uh, I was in Camden like the weekend before uh, we had gone to we were going to visit. I was uh, I forget exactly what I was there for, but my my phone had like zero service in Camden. And so Camden's like mid coast, Maine. It's not even that far up, but I had zero service. And so then thinking of Arista County, which is like four hours north of that, I was like, there's no way my phone's going to have service. Like, you know, it's just it's just probably not going to have it. And so I was there at their house. And I look at my phone and I have like five bars. Like it was like an insane connection. And I was like, whoa, I get great service here. And uh, Bruce, the, the father goes, yeah, we have electricity too. <laughs> it was just like, oh. Yeah, you oh walked right God. into that I walked one. right into it. I was like apologizing yeah. for like the next two days. But I just, yeah, uh, they got me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my uh, favorite parts of the trip to uh, the Buck Buck Family Farms is just like we got to actually drive in their, their side-by-sides out onto the all the fields and see the different things they were growing. And they just took us out to like a huge field and it was all white wheat. And they were like, this entire field is for Allagash. And so being able to kind of stand there and look, look out at an entire, basically as far as the eye can see, you're looking at white wheat and be like, okay, this is awesome. Like this is, this is, we're helping to make this happen and they're able to provide it for us. And, you know, obviously the quality is there. It's a, it's exciting. Branch's internet connection was not the best. So uh, he dropped off, but we've still got some great stuff. uh, A lot more to talk about with Jason. So I guess let's could we go into uh like i guess aurora mills feels like a great uh next sort of farm to to chat about yeah so aurora mills is a farm um based in Linnaeus, um maine so it's kind of near holton um it's actually a good solid hour south of 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 the buck farms so but still quite up yeah. up north kind of on the on the edge of the the county where the rest of county starts yeah right next door by that the standards up there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, so that farm was started um, by Matt Williams um, and is now currently, he, he's still involved, but now Sarah, his, his daughter has been running the farm now for several years um, and alongside with her husband, Marcus. And Matt was, um, you know, has been in the grain community for a very long time. He was a professor uh, at University of Maine for a period of time. And, you know, I don't know his full backstory, but I do know that he kind of, again, saw an opportunity for the potential for more 
small grain growth uh, in the state and especially organic. So they're an organic farm um, and he's uh, just an, an avid um, ad, an advocate of, of organic farming and saw an opportunity there and, and started working um, with some bakers in the state and, and some other outlets to grow oats and wheat. Uh, Borealis Breads, uh, which is a great bakery uh, here in the state, has been around a long time, kind of almost was on the beginning of kind of the the craft baking revolution, if you will, which we have so many amazing bakeries in the state now. But Borealis is, a, is one who is kind of ahead of the game. They're like Sierra Nevada of, uh, of, of bakeries. Made, we should I give suppose. them that tagline. Um, <laughs> and they, they were buying a lot of their wheat. I don't know. I don't think it was all of their wheat flour, but a lot of it from from Matt at the farm and then from Sarah and so on. And so that was building their business up. They also grow a lot of oats, some really amazing organic oats. So a lot of their oats go to food for, for, for food consumption, for just eating oatmeal, right. Or for granola and stuff like that. Um, and you know, we use a lot of oats in Allagash white and in several of our other beers. And so we wanted an opportunity to buy some oats from the state and really, was super happy with the quality of their organic oats uh, and started started working with them. Again, they're really small uh, uh, setup, but they do have their own mill. So they own their own land uh, and farm their own land, harvest on their own land. And then they also process, which in that case, it's not malting involved, but it still requires, um, you know, cleaning, cleaning the oats, rolling it in the case of what the way we use it, the way, most people don't know what an oat actually looks like. They just assume it's that flat looking flaky thing, but it's actually a grain of course, before it gets rolled and flattened. Um, but also super amazing people. Um, we always visit them every year and Sarah always yeah. bakes for us, which is also she's pretty a, awesome. Brett, you, you such get, a good baker. Yeah, she make, makes, it was like, she yeah. has like a crazy, like a really nice like brick oven in their house. And like, she made bagels that were just like world-class bagels. And yeah. And uh, Marcus also is like, he brewed a beer. We got to taste his beer. It was oh, so good. Yeah. Marcus does a bunch of homebrew and he's always, so it's, that seems to be our routine is uh, we'll go visit them, have uh, a late, late bagel breakfast and try some of Marcus's yeah. homebrew. It's awesome. And he also had like a sick garden. They were just like, eat, eat the tomatoes, eat everything. And so we we're just yeah. eating basil and tomatoes. And, <laughs> and yeah. I was struck yep, they have totally. beautiful wildflowers on their property to attract the pollinators, which is just like, it's such a complete circle when you go to their farm. And it's kind of, you know, your mind kind of melts when you listen to Sarah and Marcus talk about it because you're like, oh, they're not just flowers for being pretty. Uh, their flowers to attract the pollinators to help with the growing. And it's just, it's really amazing to see it and, and to go there and to get to visit. Yeah. I mean, far, farming is, farming is really yeah. hard yeah. in general uh, and requires a lot of, a lot of skill and thought and planning. And I think organic farming just takes it one step further in terms of the thought and, and and planning and skill that needs to go into that kind of farming. Totally. Didn't they get didn't they get flown out to Japan for like was it spelt or was it some particular type of Yeah, so they they grow uh, a specific type of buckwheat. That's right. Um that um, we've actually used. We've brewed with brewed we brewed a beer uh cross path uh oh, organic yeah. beer that used used some buckwheat. Uh, pretty fun fun ingredient to brew with. But um, a lot of it they grow to make this specific type of noodle, this Japanese noodle. Um, and so the type of buckwheat they grow 
is Japanese in origin. I don't know all the backstory, but um, they do grow a lot of buckwheat specifically to make this specific type of, of noodle. That's really cool. The next one that I had on my list uh, just to talk about was a uh, blue ox malt house. Yeah. So blue ox is the, you know, the closest one to us uh, in, in Lisbon falls. So, you know, 45 or so minutes from us and they are, so I, d- I talked earlier about, we deal with different types of, of partners in our local grain initiative. Um, you know, some are farms who grow and some are processors and some are both blue ox is a malt house uh, only. So they don't, uh, they don't grow their grain, but they have deep relationships with a bunch of farms up north as well. And so they are able to pull, um, you know, they buy some grain from out of state, but they also, m- most of what they buy is is from Maine. Um, wheat, oats, barley, again, those those three things. Uh, and they were started by by Joel Alex, uh, who really was pretty, pretty um, you know, pretty young guy and pretty with quite a vision for what could be uh, in the state of Maine, um, in terms of grain use. So he didn't start small. I mean, he still has a small malt house as compared to, you know, the big, huge commercial malt houses, but he, he went big from the get go, um, at least on the scale of craft malting and, you know, really believed in the future of, of malted barley processed here in the state, you know, he really put himself out there and I give him a ton of credit for that because when he opened, which is about the time we started our initiative, I don't know exactly when Blue Ox started, but I would guess it was in the nine, in the 2015-ish timeframe. I think that sounds right, yeah. And he, um, you know, that's a bold thing to do at that point in time and say, I, I think I can, I think that market, the market's not there now, but I think it will be. Um, and, you know, he, he put himself out there and got some funding to build this, this malt house and develop these relationships with these farmers and um and has really he's filled his capacity right up they are they are busy as can be and um he's got a really good reputation not only in maine but he's selling um selling malted barley to out of state as well to both breweries and distillers that's awesome I guess just to like to, to quickly go back on that one a little bit like what could you just do you think in a nutshell you could explain what malting is sure yeah um Super quick nutshell. So um, some grains don't require malting for the process, but you can't make a beer with unmalted grains solely. Like the, you basically need some level, you know, 50% to 100% of malted grains involved in the process for it to, to work the way you want it to and, and the way brewing process works. So the malting proceed, uh, process, and I'll talk about it in the way malted barley is made, but more or less the same premise for malted wheat because it also exists. Uh, it comes out of the field um, and, you know, it can go into storage for a period of time, of course, but before it gets malted, what it basically what it does, it goes through a steeping process, which builds up the moisture in the grain kernel. It then goes through a germination process, which can be done in a number of different ways, but you basically let um, the, the grain start to germinate. So a little like rootlet will kind of start to come out of the grain. This all takes several days for this to happen. Um, and then from there, the process is kind of halted through a kilning process or, a, or warming up of the kernel to dry the moisture out a little bit and kind of s- stop that germination. What you're really trying to do in another, put another way, is to partially break down the starch that's in the grain and make it available for brewing. 
I guess that's the, the best way to say it. If we just took barley, threw it in our mash vessel and added a bunch of water to it, it would just be like barley soup, nothing else. Whereas when we, when, when we break down that starch pars, pa, pa, partially and activate the enzymatic potential in the grain, what we get is what's called wort, which is the sugary liquid that then can be fermented into beer. Awesome. But I guess I'll say it another way. Malting the process is in and of, in and of itself much like brewing in that it's a combination of science and art. Like there's, there's a lot of science involved in terms of the biochemistry of what's happening there. But there's also a certain level of art and skill to the way it's created. Just, just, and that's, you could say the same thing about, about beer, making beer. Totally. And I guess just like, as an aside too, Jason, like, have you seen the, I guess, variety of grain grown in Maine, uh, growing from like that 2016 point? Yeah. I mean, that has certainly increased. Um, there is a history, small history of growing something, stuff like spelt. I mean, spelt is kind of a heritage wheat in a way is what, what it is. Um, that that has increased, and I think brewing has something to do with it. The majority of the grains that brewers used are barley, wheat, and oats. But um, so some of these other kind of unique grains are are getting more interest, but they're also getting more interest on the baking side of things as well. Okay. Um, you know, there's a whole another kind of parallel track uh, going on. There's the craft beer kind of continued growth and interest in what craft brewers are doing. And at the same time, not unrelated, there's continued growth of, of bakeries in this, in the state, but also across the country, um, doing some really fun stuff. And I think bakers and I, and I'm a average home baker, so don't take my word for it too much, but uh, I do know that there's a lot of interest in really getting into the specific wheat varieties and these heritage wheat varieties that have kind of disappeared, um, because of the commercialized nature of growing wheat and how, yeah, you could, you could talk to some of these bakers and, and, um, and really get (laughs) deep in the weeds to how they think, you know, potentially even our problems with gluten are stemmed in the way that we really got away from these old heritage varieties and the proper way to make flour and so on and so forth. So that's a whole nother parallel, um, that has a lot of similarities, but, uh, it's super, super fascinating. So, sorry, long-winded answer, but I think interest interest from brewers has certainly um, influenced the type of small grains that are grown. But the the bakers uh, and fans of of uh, you know local bread have certainly played a big role in that as well. How lucky we are to have endless bounty of beer and excellent restaurants and bakeries here in Maine. You should come visit if you have not. And, you know, there's also like a whole variety of type of grains that can be produced from the malting process. So there's there's malted barley, which is kind of the base for, for all beer. Um, but then you get into various levels of caramel malt and roasted malt and all sorts of other, you know, I, I, there's hun- literally hundreds of different grain types, barley types even that, that you can get. Um, some that have a little bit more color and maybe a little bit more malty character. So something like a Munich malt, for example, might be a little darker in color. It would produce more of an amber beer, but also produce like a maltiness to it. And then the other end of the extreme, you get into um, black malts and roasted malts and chocolate malts. And if you know anything about the way coffee is roasted, in some ways it's similar. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's a similar process where the grain is um, is run through a roaster of some type and it creates color 
Um, and in some cases it's actually literally black in color. So a stout that has that deep color, also certainly, uh, aromas and flavors of chocolate and roast and, you know, coffee, et cetera. Um, that's coming from, from these darker roasted grains. The last partner, is it the last partner who we get grain from main, main grains? Yeah. The last major partner we work with in the state is, is main grains and they're based in Skowhegan. Um, and they, so they're, they're, a a, a mill, uh, in that they, they, they brought by, um, they contract and buy grain from farms all over the state and process, take it in, process it, turn a lot of it to flour. They, they supply a lot of bakeries with baking flour. Um, but we also, we also buy, um, wheat predominantly from them, but we've bought some other interesting products from them as well. Spelt, for example, some oats, et cetera. Um, and they're just doing some really fun stuff. It's a super cool uh, project that was started by Amber Lamke, who is really one of the true visionaries of, of Maine small grains. Um, so she started with a group of friends, uh, an organization called the Maine Grain Alliance, which still exists today and does incredible, incredible work. And she was the executive director for, for quite some time. She, she isn't anymore, but she's still very actively involved in that, in that nonprofit. And that nonprofit has really done great work. It was one, we relied on, on them really heavily, especially in the early years, to connect us with the right people and, uh, and so on. And their whole kind of mission is to raise awareness of the possibilities of using main grain and um, you know, supporting um, farmers, brewers, Malt, uh, millers, bakers, etc., uh, and she really she she started that, and so you know she was really uh, her and and some other um, you know true visionaries in the beginning were the ones who kind of really got this whole thing kind of revitalized. Um, but Main Grains is is her is her business that she owns as well. Uh, it's actually located in a in an old jail in Skowhegan, so it's super cool, really interesting building that they've retrofitted to, uh, to, to be a mill. Um, really impressive, really super clean, um, awesome facility. Um, and again, they, they're, I believe their predominant business is more in the, uh, baker, um, world, um, food world. And they're, they're really well regarded. I know I've, I've met people who are, you know, chefs and bakers from places like New York city and further away who buy, buy their flour, from main grains because of the reputation and because of the flavor that comes through for them. So Jason, if, you know, other breweries, um, want to start incorporating more local ingredients into their beer, what's our, what's our sort of advice for them? Um, you know, I, I don't know that everyone be able to make commitments, but even starting small and, you know, having conversations with some of these folks that we just talked about, um, is that a great place to start? Yeah, for sure. And and let me first say that, you know, there are many breweries here in the state who are, are using high amounts of local grain. And it's, you know, I always want to make sure to point that out because, you know, I, I'm, you know, I like that we have the ability to kind of talk about this and, and um, you know, raise awareness, but we're not alone. There's so many breweries in the state who are doing amazing work and using lots of local grain. One uh, that absolutely uses a ton of local grain uh, is Bissell Brothers. They use, you know, brew grape beers have, a, I know they're really passionate about using local grains. So I think, you know, there are definitely more, but I know Bissell Brothers is, is a big one. And, you know, for those who aren't or those who are only using a little, like, you know, I think there's a couple different, you know, there's there's developing those relationships, but 
that's relatively easy. Um, it's also deciding on how you want to incorporate it. Um, if you're concerned about flavor match or whatever, like just using small portions of local grain in every batch of beer you make is a great way to do it. Um, I don't think they should worry too much about that flavor match through experimentation. The quality of these grains are really, really good. But if that's a concern, they can do that. But also brewing a beer that's a kind of designed around those grains is also just such a great way to showcase the flavors, but also, you know, raise awareness of, of the beer. You know, 16 counties is our beer that we do that with, you know, which is a hundred percent locally grown and processed grain. And it's just kind of another kind of way for us to showcase the unique flavors, but also to, to really talk about it and say, look at, look at what you can do um, with local grains. So, and, you know, I know some people are sometimes concerned with the cost because it is more expensive. I mean, they're smaller scale operations. The economies of scale are different. Like, of course, it's going to be more money. Um, and you, it's it's not that hard to, to build that into your price. You know, a little bit more for every pint of beer that you're offering. Um, and we've found that consumers understand. Uh, the people who are drinking craft beer recognize um you know, the importance of, of supporting local. So I guess then, uh, to kind of, to, to roll us out here, uh, Jason, what would you say is, is next for us on the, the local, locally grown and processed grain front? We absolutely are planning to continue the growth. Um, so we will grow, we will grow our usage probably at least another 10 or so percent this year versus last year. And, you know, now we just need to decide how we, how we exactly plan it out. Um, in terms of growth beyond this year, but it is absolutely our plan to continue to increase our usage of, of local grains and to continue these conversations with, with these farmers. Um, and I think there's almost no limit into what we can eventually get ourselves to with using these local grains. Um, you know, we had much of the country saw a big, uh, one of the worst uh, barley harvests that we've seen in a hundred years wow. in terms of yield and quality uh, in 2021. Maine farmers had one of their best years in 2021. Now there's always going to be these cycles, right? Cause they had bad year in 2020, but point being like, you know, having, having more reliance on, on our local grains is, has practical benefits to us in addition to, you know, just if feeling That's good great. and doing That's the right thing. Point. Well, I guess I'll say, I mean, Liz, did you have any other questions? Anything else you were wondering? No, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, this has been awesome. Thanks so much, Jason, uh, for taking the time. Thank you, Branch, wherever you are. You guys don't have like a, uh, <laughs> like some catchy sign off that you do? <laughs> not, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> Workshopping it. Do you have one for us? Oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll come up with one. We'll get something. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks yeah, no again, problem. Jason. My pleasure. It's been great. Cool. Later. Uh, Liz, I just like, I don't know, talking with Jason, it's always such a, like, I just always learn something. It's just always really enjoyable to yeah. get something new. Yeah. And you can tell, I mean, he's been doing this for so long that it's just like second nature to hear him talk about yeah. it. And it's, uh, you know, hearing about the different farmers and monsters, you know, it brings back so many great memories from, you know, we, I was lucky enough to get a trip to go up yeah. there. So, um, 
gosh, uh, dreaming about the Buck brothers and the breakfast and the dinners that they give and, and just hanging out with their family just was a lot of great, uh, memories as he was talking about it, but yeah. And, uh, Hopefully, we'll get Branch back here for for a next installment. We'll get, we'll get Branch back. <laughs> if you have a topic you want to hear us chat about here at Allagash, just shoot us an email at podcasts at allagash.com. Mm-hmm.